I've got mail. A package came to my door and oh, the joy when I opened up a pretty little tub full to the brim of a dozen bottles of soak wash laundry detergent and flatter spray, plus the eco wash bag for delicates and her book, which is gorgeous. I couldn't wait to try this eco-friendly product and it did not disappoint. Today, I'll have a chat with Jacqueline Sava of Soak Wash Inc. Hello and welcome to the Quilter on Fire podcast, where I explore the stories, the connections and the joy of guests in the quilting world that will bring you more joy and less overwhelm on your own creative path. I'm your host, Brandy Maslowski, also known as the Quilter on Fire, and I can't wait to share this week's episode with you. So here we go. My guest today is Jacqueline Sava. She created Soak Wash Inc. in 2005 with better than necessary ingredients to bring something to market that was so good customers would try it once and never look back. Why not love your clothes, fabric, and quilts as much as you love yourself? She strives to align her business practices with her environmental policies and serve her customers with a safe, eco-friendly product that makes your stuff look great and last longer. There are so many bits of this story that I want to explore. So let's get right into it with Jacqueline Sava. Jacqueline, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, well, this is such a great topic. I mean, caring for your things, using a product that's eco-friendly. Let's take a look back, though, at where you got started in quilting. So when do you first remember putting stitch to fabric? Well, as a kid, my mom was an apparel designer and a sewist and her best friend was a quilter. So I feel like there were pieces in my fabric long before before I was even born. So I couldn't even go that far back to pick a specific one. Yeah. And so do you really feel like there are certain people in your life that encouraged your creativity to blossom? For sure. I mean, my mom, for sure, she was a clothing designer and an, an artist. She is an artist. And so she made us clothes, she had fabric, we knit, we sewed, we made things. That was always part of my DNA. Yeah. And so did you start off making clothing in your childhood for your toys and then for yourself? Or was oh, it Oh yeah, clothing? for sure. My strongest clothing first, my strongest and making things. One of my strongest memories was going to a creative sewing festival that we went to every year with my mom and her best friend June. And I really wanted to buy fake fur and make a teddy bear like a giant, a giant teddy bear. And for logical reasons, if you've ever cut fake fur, you would dissuade your child from purchasing it. <laughs> and so she kept saying no. And then there was a, a raffle for a gift card to use at the show. And my name got called and wow. we were ecstatic. But my mom looked at me and as soon as she saw that I had won the $100, she knew we were going back to buy the teddy bear fur. <laughs> and so we did. And then I made these stuff, like a stuffed it's uncertain to this day whether it's a bear or a dog, but, but my daughter Stella plays with it and she loves it and she sort of doesn't believe I made it. But the first thing we did was go back and buy like those big goggly eye buttons and the, the fur fabric and the stuffing and everything. And so I must have been like 10 or 11 or 12. And I always knew how to sew with my mom and I got in trouble in home economics in the eighth grade because I sewed the like sweatsuit shorts too quickly and without pinning them and so the teacher was trying to give me a low grade because I didn't pin these like teeny tiny little shorts that were you know six inches of stitches which I never pin but I, I remember arguing with her and saying like are they lined up 
is this seem fine? Like, are they successful? Great. Then why, are, then why is this a problem? And she's like, well, you didn't pin them. It's like, but yeah. so, yeah, so always, always sewing. And my mom always made us dresses and clothes when we were little, let us pick out the fabric and let us pick out patterns. Yeah. And that's such a great story, especially with the, the fact that Stella still has the dog bear today and she gets <laughs> yeah. to play with it. Yeah, my mom part. pulled out all these stuffies and so short of, you know, some of the elastic and the dresses and stuff, not having it stretch anymore and having disintegrated. But she, yeah, she has all these stuffies, including these ones that I made. Yeah. So can you tell us when you got into quilting? Like, when did you make your very first quilt? My first quilt was a baby quilt as an adult and it was, you know, squares and it was very like, you know, when you use a domestic sewing machine on a full 48 inch line and it gets all those creases and pulls in it, but it was great. And then I started talking about wanting to do more quilting and learning about a walking foot and what that was. I mean, I'd grown up with fabric and grown up with quilts. My mom, best friend quilted, but for me to actually make one. And then Ted, my husband surprised me he was surprisingly interested in this walking foot technology. Yeah. Um, a million questions, but he was really plotting with one of my best friends, Karen, who owns the workroom in Toronto to actually buy me a quilting machine. So he was really like pushing the investigative work on what kind of quilting machine I would need if, if I was going to get one. And so he bought me this lavish Bernina and we called it the Christmas Hanukkah birthday anniversary present for the next five years because it was so far. It wasn't like crazy fancy, but it was so far out of, you know, out of our holiday budget that that's what we called it. So. Oh, that is so and From sweet. there and it took off. Yeah. Oh, that's such a great way to start your quilting path with a nice machine. And, and I so want to go to the workroom when I go to Toronto. I'm oh, absolutely. Really, I'm excited. Yeah. And my first that. big, like my first like big quilt, like queen size quilt that I still have was right around the time that the workroom opened. And it was Karen's first quilt Sunday. And I went in there and I had gotten some fabric because we had been at quilt market. It was Anna Griffin's beautiful pinks and oranges and browns. And I wanted to make a, I wanted to make squares, but like asymmetrical and uneven and inconsistent. And I was like ready to like figure it all out and do the math. And then she went to the shelf and gave me one of Denise Schmidt's early books that had the, what a bunch of squares quilt in it. And she was like, just follow this, this, this person's already figured this all out for you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and that, so was one of my, that was my first big quilt. Okay. So on your quilting journey, did you gravitate towards modern or where did you go from there? How did you blossom? I gave myself the a learning. I'm like a systems kind of person sometimes. So I gave myself a learning task of doing squares, triangles, circles. And I sort of gave myself this little like learning path. So definitely modern, definitely the newer contemporary fabrics, but I did a half square triangle, big zigzag quilt that was like color tones. It went from like a rainbow of colors and these big zigzags, but within the zigzags were half square triangles. So that was my triangles. And then I did the Denise Schmidt single girl quilt, which was my uneven circles kind of quilt. And that's when I bonded with my friend Katrina, one of my other best friends. Because when I put the squares together, each asymmetrical circle, if you will, had like a had like a nipple in the middle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when I went to go send it for long arming, she said, "You know, you can't you can't send it like this." She's like, "Did you square up the squares?" And I was like, "Did I did I what up the what's?" Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I like to finish things. So that's when I learned about squaring up your blocks. And she said, "Okay, come over. We'll open." It was I remember it was Earth Day because her now grown up children were young, but they insisted that we turn out the lights for Earth Hour. So by candlelight, she said, you open up, you undo it and square up all the blocks and all sew them together. So if you get here and then by the time you leave, it'll be assembled again, but flat. Yeah. She's a very, only a very good friend will do that. 
And so that's when I learned about squaring up squares and got that one together. And then I did a big improv kind of quilt for my mom. I followed this really meticulous pattern for the front and then did an improv for the back and the back is way better than the front. And uh, yeah, so I sort of set myself each one of those projects to kind of learn the techniques and kind of get it, get it from there. Yeah. So those were my, that was kind of my journey. Definitely on the, on the modern side, I really love asymmetry and inconsistency. So I mostly find making one pattern or shape in the same kind of colorway over and over again, really boring. I love that you set yourself learning tasks because that's such a great idea. Like we could all literally just take a look at what is our kind of quilting practice right now? What do we love? Where do we want to go? And what can we do as a learning, you know, Mm -hmm. step along the way to improve ourselves? That's such a great idea. Yeah. I figured if I did like an entire twin quilt of half square triangles, I would have like my points, my squares, my triangles, my squaring up, like they'd be, they'd be sorted, you know? Yeah. So I set those each kind of shape to kind of work through it that way. Yeah. So great. Okay. So let's take a little step out of the quilting story and where are you living right now and who are your loved ones that you share your world with every day? I live about an hour Northwest of Toronto in a 1901 schoolhouse that has been converted into a house surrounded by farmer's fields and cow neighbors. And and I live with my husband, Ted, and my twins, Stella and Felix. Uh, And we have three cats, one older one and two kitties, because you want a second cat, but then there are two and you have two little children. Just it's not, it's like worth it to not have to listen to them fight about who gets to snuggle the cat. (laughs) They can each chase and have a cat. And then I don't have to, I don't have to referee cat holding. So three cats, two kids and a beautiful schoolhouse. Okay, so now I'm excited to get into the business of soak wash. So let's talk about, you know, well, give me the little elevator pitch. What's your business about? So at Soak, we make a gentle laundry soap and other laundry care products, and they're designed to take you from fear to elation and into your favorite clothes. So everyone has something that they love that's textile based. So whether it's like a favorite sweater, a bra you were fitted for an anniversary, a quilt, whether you made it or it was heirloom, that they don't wash or know how to take care of and don't don't use as often as they would because they don't know how to take care of it. So we hesitate to use our favorite things if we are afraid that we're going to ruin them when we wash them. What we really want to do is, you know, we wanted to make a product that we call, we call it skin care for your clothing. So designed for delicate fibers, it's not meant for grass stains and crazy, you know, your outfit after a mud runner, but it's really meant for the things that are important to you and the things that you love so that you're encouraged to wear them more often, snuggle in them more often if it's a quilt or a blanket or something like that. And then make sure the fibers are kind of living their best life as well as you. Yeah, skincare for your clothing. You know, I think I'm having a realization right now that I literally don't even buy anything unless I can just shove it in the washer and dryer and nothing will happen to it. So mm-hmm. I'm not buying all those beautiful, delicate things because I don't think I'll be able to care for them. So I have a feeling I'm about to go on a huge learning adventure right now, <laughs> which is great. Okay, so let's get into the product. So have you always wanted to be an entrepreneur? Like, how did this all get started? Oh, that's a long story. I didn't always, I mean, I didn't really... I think becoming an entrepreneur is not always planned, but when I was 16 and in high school, I had to write, I had to do this like year long project. So we had to pick a topic that we wanted to study all year and I have a short attention span. So that seemed like a nightmare for me. And I was, I was always crafty. I made like, I don't know, it was the eighties, right? I made hair barrette clips with gummy bears soaked in resin and like stuff like that. And I covered hat boxes and stuff. It was very crafty. And so I always 
made presents rather than buying presents. And people used to tell me I should sell them. And I was like, I don't want to sell them. I'm just making like so-and-so's birthday and I'm covering a box in fabric. I'm not, you know. And so when this epic project came up, I decided to do how to how to start a business and how to write a business plan for this project. And then I decided to actually do it because I knew that like the process of writing a business plan and registering a business would take that long. And so it would maintain my intention for the duration. So I did actually start a business and write a business plan when I was 16, not foreseeing the future, but apparently foreseeing the future. (laughs) And then I took machine knitting in school. I studied industrial design at Rhode Island School of Design and I took machine knitting and I fell in love with the knitting machine and I was making hats and accessories and stuff. And then started selling them and then people were asking me how to take care of them and I really didn't have a good answer and then I had lunch with a friend who worked I had been doing some design consulting with her company and then she moved to a skincare business and so she was making like private label bubble bath and skin cream and shampoo and stuff and so we would have lunch and she would bring me samples and seconds and you know a bottle of bubble bath where the label had been put on backwards or upside down or something like this you know seconds essentially And so over lunch one day, I asked her if we could maybe make a wool wash to have to go along with my knits Mm -hmm. Uh, because people were asking how to take care of it. And I was saying baby shampoo or a snuggle or I don't know what, you know. Yeah. And if you've ever smelled snuggle and compared it, let's say, to a soak scent. (laughs) Not pretty. Um, harsh. Yeah, it's harsh. So, yeah. So we made a wool wash to go with our knits and then we were selling them alongside our knits. And then someone said, Hey, there's this knitting industry and there's this trade show, the national needle arts, and you should go check it out. And that's kind of the launch of the wholesale business of soak. And then from there we, we identified by then I was like working and I had my gone and done my, I started my MBA and like, cause I really wanted to build the business. And so we started identifying other industries that had not had any evolution in delicate fiber care in a very long time. So like in the quilting industry, the standard was Orvis paste, which is horse wash. I mean, and granted horses need to get washed and they have fur and hair and similar properties, but it was like frosty white bottle and and people were like sort of emptying them. And then they were selling them in quilt shops to wash your quilts because that was considered like delicate fiber care. And a lot of the quilting comes from rural living. And so that, that was the standard in the quilt industry. And I was like, that's entirely unnecessary when you compare it to these contemporary fabrics that were launching on the scene, you know, the likes of the Amy Butler fabrics and all the Japanese fabrics becoming contemporary and quilting. And then you're putting this like, you know, you're putting it next to horse wash. Right? That reminds so, me actually, that reminds me of like using products like utter butter on your heels. Exactly. Like exactly. That. Exactly. It's just like that. And I appreciate that there's like a jump and a step, but then there's also marketing, you know, and branding and positioning and in the yeah. retail environment, wanting to have products that look like they belong in your store. So the same thing in the lingerie industry, the the traditional powder detergents and pastel pink and white bottles that had just been around forever. Uh, mm-hmm. So we really wanted to to make something that you'd want to sell next to the product that you're making. And also, as we say, like keep it on the counter instead of under the counter. So more like important, like skincare than, you know, detergent, which we typically hide away and put under the cupboard and, you know, only take out either when we're using it or only have to clean the spills on the cupboard. Yeah. So So, what was your process once you sort of realized, okay, this is what I need. How do I come up with a product that is local, eco-friendly, like you had must have done so much research. Yeah, we did a lot of research. And then because my background is industrial design, which is product development, it wasn't too much of a stretch for me to identify those things. And then we had to work within the parameters of manufacturing as well. You know, you, you know, our original bottles, if you look at the different sizes of the bottles, you'll see that they don't 
all match. They're not the same bottle family, but that's because we had to buy stock whatever was available, you know. And then as we've grown and done redesigns over the years, we've been able to switch to a new bottle family where all the different sizes match and go together and, and that kind of thing as we scale up. So yeah, identifying fragrances, identifying color stories, learning things like, you know, I wanted the different scents to have different color liquid to match the different knits that I was creating, but then fragrance or color is not biodegradable. So it had to be clear. So then we worked with our label manufacturer to develop a sort of a unique label design so that it kind of glows like the color of the label inside the liquid. So little things like that to kind of get the visual story that we were looking for, as well as the product story. And we did, you know, we've done a lot of eco-driven things, but not because we put a huge positioning around eco, but just because it was the right thing to do. And that's been a struggle for us because marketing agencies and people are like, why don't you talk about that more? And I was like, because it's just the way it is, but we've been using hundred percent post-consumer resin in our bottles since 2012, mm-hmm. but not everybody knows that. I mean, if you read the whole label, you wouldn't know that, but, but yeah. So yeah, just designing it, figuring it out and then starting to learn, you know, what kind of stores and what kind of environments would be good for selling in. Yeah. And there's a little bit of humility about that. I mean, we shouldn't have to do that because it should be a standard at this point in our lives, right? So it's such a great thing. The people who know will know and they will read the labels, right? Yeah. So did you make a transition from another career before you just like dove into doing this full time? I know you were knitting and doing that kind of thing and you're getting highly educated. I didn't. I didn't really ever have a corporate career. I was doing product design consulting work and designing my knits and they were we did, you know, get a big distributor, pick them up and we were manufacturing them and selling them and doing everything from like one of a kind, which is the biggest craft show in Canada to starting to wholesale them. And then there was sort of a transition. I I did my MBA because I didn't have that corporate background to switch from. And I really wanted to round it out. Like it was sort of how quick can I round out the business size of it. And now obviously I've learned a ton of things and I knew what I wanted to learn going into it. So I learned those things, but it is very conclusive to say that an MBA does not prepare you to run a business. <laughs> Maybe administer one that's already going, but but I knew what I was trying to get out of it, like the basics of the different things. So I, I definitely got what I needed out of it. And sometimes I do wish I had worked for like a big consumer package, good company first so that I had some of those standardized kind of things, but neither here nor there. And then when I was doing my knits, I was trying to ask questions like where the dyes were coming from. And we had a really sort of mass customization kind of design. So it was hard to get manufacturers to produce it while still having it look handmade. And there was kind of a moment where there was more opportunity for soak. And then the questions around the knit accessories were getting too complicated for manufacturing. And then we had, you know, I had a, let's say a blue hat, for example, and it had seven or eight different shades of blue in it so that it would be more timeless. Cause I believe that accessories should outlast trend. Yeah. But once you get the trendiest accessory distributor in Canada, who was amazing, she was all like, what's next season? Like, what's the next collection? And I was like, this, the same as this one? <laughs> it's going to be <laughs> <And> forever. <laughs> yeah. I was like, maybe we'll switch it later. And maybe yeah. that's why, as from Soak's perspective, we launch a new fragrance every two or three years. We don't have like a holiday collection and a holiday shaped bottle and a Valentine's yeah. Day bottle and a Mother's Day bottle. You know, we don't have those kind of ongoing seasonal collections because they do contribute to dead stock and older inventory yeah. and and it's really not a trendy product. It's not people love it and they buy it for themselves. And if they want to give it to someone, they want to give it to someone that they think needs it. And so, yes, they might buy a whole bunch for stocking stuffers to give to their sisters and aunts and best friends and that sort of thing. But we don't have 
a real holiday like Q4 Crazy Town Festival because it's it's if somebody wants soak and they want to tell someone else about it, they do it and they don't need a holiday kind of kind of to do it. So there was kind of this transition where soak was starting to take off and the knit production sort of cycle of of apparel was not ideal and it was too I, it was too ahead of my curve for wanting to know like where the dyes were coming from and where the colors and the manufacturers were like we can't get you these answers and I was like well that's yeah. not good enough of that's not good enough of an answer for me and so it sort of that sort of transitioned away and then soak kind of grew from there I want to say it was like the summer of 2006 we did our first trade show Wow, 2006. And so there's a really important element of your business in the distribution and packaging. It's not from some other country far away. So tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, we wanted to produce locally. Our wash bags are not made locally because there are very few fabric mills and they're made of recycled bottles and you just can't afford to do that here. Yeah. So we wanted to produce locally. We wanted to, our bottles are made locally. The fill is produced locally. The labels are printed locally. So we worked with, and some of those suppliers we've been using since the beginning, our label manufacturer, we, it's been a thrill to kind of watch their business grow as our business has grown as well. Yeah. And so there's a lot of loyalty there. And, you know, it does come at a higher price point for sure if you want to produce locally in Canada, but you sort of know that going in. And it's important to support the the ecosystem and the economy here. So not just for our team at our office, but for the other manufacturing partners that we have. Yeah, so great. So when you did that first trade show in 2006, before that, how did it feel to have the first bottle in your hands? Like it was like, oh my gosh, this is a real thing. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. We had, my office was at the, I guess, Ted had moved in by then. And I got my first office in time for the first delivery to show up because I always had a cat and then Ted was there and my stuff was there. And I was like, cat hair, plastic bottles, electricity, like mess, like this is not going to happen. So I had an office in a business development building, a cute old warehouse building. And then we had got a second, they had these sort of interior offices, like without windows. And I'm not sure whoever would have used one for an office, but we used one for our storage. And we got this one section of pallet racking and filled it to the brim. And it was pretty great to have it show up and to be there. And so now we use that pallet racking. I guess it's two sections, two sections of pallet racking. We use that to hold corrugate cardboard boxes mm. and Ted forever wants me to get rid of it because it doesn't match the other pallet racking that he has since installed in our 4,000 square foot warehouse. But I was like, <laughs> no, that's like, that's the roots, right? Like that's, that's the, like the that's original. The yeah. That's this first one section of pallet racking was like, that was filled to the brim and I couldn't even imagine having so much of it, you know? And that was like the very, very minimum that the manufacturer would produce, you know, the very smallest, teeniest batch they could make just filled this racking to the rim. And, and so, yeah, so I insist on it staying in our warehouse and having, now it has like all the cardboard box inventory Yeah, just as a reminder. So. Yeah. So at that first sale, do you remember like the very first person who purchased a bottle? I don't remember the first person, but it was the June show. My mom was with me because I didn't have staff and my mom, you know, we used to joke that she could sell ice to Eskimos. She was in the apparel industry and very seasoned and she had retired since then, but so she was with me. And we had sent out bottle-shaped postcards, like die-cut bottle-shaped postcards. You have to remember this predates like email lists, right? So we did a mail merge and it was like, bring this postcard to the show and get a sample. So we had these little single-use samples. (laughs) And I remember like we set up the booth, we were all excited. We had done one, the Toronto Knitters Frolic, we had done one consumer practice show in Toronto. And when we... I remember, I don't remember the sale, but I remember walking towards the booth from the front 
and seeing just crowds of people. And there was like a lineup of people with their little postcards wanting a sample. And they're like, someone at your company sent me the samples. And I can remember, I can remember the setup on my sofa where I was using like TV trays to do like mail merge folding and stuffing envelopes, you know, I was like, oh yeah, somebody, somebody sent you that postcard. Yeah, we'll, we'll go with somebody. Sure. And then I remember not looking up to say hi to her again until like one in the afternoon. So I just remember that being kind of crazy. And we had designed this little intro pack so the stores could get started. And then we promptly came back to Canada and I screwed up the box that you check on like the exporting and where the duties and charges go to. And then every single one of these orders, the people got charged, like instead of us paying the duties to ship them into the States, they all got charged Uh, the duties. uh, So one by one people, that's when I had my first intern. (laughs) And she spent all summer, she spent all summer with a spreadsheet trying to like claw back these charges because each, each charge went on the individual store's account. So like UPS wouldn't let us do it we had to like reach out to each store and wait for each person to be like what is this 40 dollars charge or whatever it was at the time and then get it and then after they had reached out then sort out getting it sorted out so yeah live and learn oh yeah so so nowadays you do all kinds of wonderful shows so what kind of shows do you do now so that people can see demos and things like that yeah our most recent show was QuiltCon in atlanta which was lovely and delightful and it was my birthday during the show. So I'm always, almost always traveling late February on my birthday. And we do the New York Sheep and Wool Festival in Rhinebeck, New York every year, which is a spectacular knitter's dream of yarn and sheets and fall in New England. And then outside that, we mainly do trade shows for, for wholesale. So for where stores go to buy their inventory. So we do knitting shows, lingerie shows, quilting shows, sometimes apparel shows, and then work with different distributors in their events as well. Yeah. And it's interesting that you say that because you got your start in knitting and lingerie is a big deal with your business. But as a quilter at QuiltCon, I like got the first, I've known about your business for years, but just obviously my laundry situation is not a good thing. So I haven't used it yet. But when I saw your booth, your booth is gorgeous. But when I saw your booth, I was like, oh yeah, this is the quilting wash. This is our wash. (laughs) I kind of felt like you were just for us, (laughs) but it's great to know that it's, it's really important to do all the different types of things. I never even, you know, I wouldn't even imagine of delicately taking care of my favorite hat. I probably just have never even washed it. I mean, I shouldn't. (laughs) There's a whole slew of people. Yeah. So take your winter hat, take your favorite scarf, (laughs) put it in the basin, some warm, soaky, soak filled water. And then put it in and just don't freak out at as the dirt just like dissipates into the water and then just I keep know. rinsing it and redoing it until it runs clear. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, what's interesting is if people buy soak in a lingerie store or an apparel store, they think of it as a, a wash for the, a gentle laundry soap for the clothes they love most. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh, I can use this on my quilt. Oh, I can use it on my hat. I can use it on my blanket. I can use it on my kids stuffies, you know, but the crafting industry is fascinating because if people buy soak in a yarn shop or they buy in a quilt shop, they're like, this is the wash for my quilts. And we have to do so much education to be like, actually, when you get the bottle home, there's so many things you can wash with it at home. I mean, I keep one in the laundry room. I keep it in the bathroom. I keep it in the kitchen, you know, cat barfed on my new carpet this morning. So, you know, in like two hours, I'll be over there, like with a little bit of soap cleaning, you know, cleaning the carpet. And then I will do the three spots on my stairs that I've been ignoring at the same time. So (laughs) Um, so you can use it for so many things, but it is fascinating how like a knitter will be like, oh, well, this is only for my hand knits. And I was like, well, you know, this, that sweater that you bought is also a knit, yeah. you know, a machine knit piece, but you also have to clean it delicately or they've never washed it. And we have so many conversations with people who, you know, if I was really bored, I would have like a reality show called like the first time I washed that, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, you just get approached all the time. <laughs> 
feel like I should have like a YouTube channel with that. I need to People work on pull that. out the sweater out of the laundry that's like tiny sized and shrunk down, and it's like for sure. Uh, I have a friend that I that has twins the same age, and so from when I met her to now, it's probably another six years. And she was a an, a nanny in Ireland when she was in her twenties. She's younger than I am, but for sure, it's she's younger than me, but it's still been a long time. And so she has this feral sweater that she never washed and when she met me she was like I don't wash that and I was like well that's disgusting uh, because I bet I bet it is and so she's like oh well we'll have to and I always say I always say we'll have to wash that together right I want to I want to be there for that I want to film yeah. that but now we haven't because now we both have two little kids and we're super busy yeah and now I realize it's probably been another four years since that story where she hasn't washed her sweater. so yeah yeah and I I know that I have literally stood in a store looked at a gorgeous sweater and thought nope can't ever have that in my house because I just, that would not be, it would turn into a felted garment for a tiny doll if I washed it. So. Well, I always keep one of our basins in the laundry room or in, I used to keep my, in my closet in our old place. And then anything that I don't want to get lumped in with the regular laundry, I just throw in that basin. And then when that basin's full, I either hand wash the stuff or I do a load on the delicate cycle because you can use soap in the washing machine as well. So I just keep my stuff separate from the beginning. The cat sleeps on the sweater or whatever. But yeah, we really want to encourage people to have those items because then you're thinking about that sweater that you loved and that you didn't get when you put on your other crappy sweater. You know, I made a great move with this move to this house to get rid of all the stuff that is just like falling apart or like I bought like actual pajama sets instead of like the t-shirt falling apart and the like workout shorts or whatever that are falling apart that I had. And it's like, you know, you can actually have nice pajamas and you can, you know, not keep the sweaters that don't feel good when you put them on. Like, why are they taking up space in your life? And it's not, I'm certainly not anywhere near like a capsule wardrobe or anything like that. Yeah. But wanting to be able to just reach for something that you love, no matter what it is, yeah. is a real great thing. And I'm not like, it's not a Mary Kondo conversation. This is just, you know, <laughs> it's just making sure that you have the things that you love because when you put them on, you feel better the same way that you, that you feel better when you snuggle under a beautiful quilt. And I've noticed that with the kids as well. Like they've been gifted bed sheets and you, you, you put them on their beds and you touch them and you're like, what is the, what fireproof business is this made out of? You know, <laughs> it just feels terrible. Yeah. Or like, you know, cheap flannel sheets versus really good quality ones. You know, you get what yeah. you pay for with fiber. So we really want people to be able to take care of them properly. Yeah. You know, sheets is a great example. You don't need like whiteners and brighteners and all kinds of crazy thing on your favorite sheets. You can throw them in the machine with soak and they'll be refreshed and they'll be clean and they'll smell great and feel nice. Yeah. So good. Such a great conversation. And it's, it's also such a good idea to have that bin to set your precious clothes aside because there's nothing worse than you know like my husband and I share all the chores but when he actually takes his initiative to go ahead and just do all the laundry and then he ruins something there's nothing worse than him doing something great and then me saying oh but you ruined this you know for like, sure you, for you sure you don't want to call him on that when he's actually doing something you really want him to do <laughs> you know for sure and and for sure laundry in our house is you know you know Ted once when we were first dating, once we had done laundry and he refolded all the laundry and I was like, you could moonlight at the gap. I was like, well, one, we don't have time to do chores twice. So you're officially the laundry folder forever. So if you don't like the way I fold your shirts, knock yourself out. But yeah, you don't want somebody to be like, oh, I'm not doing the laundry because I might ruin your stuff. You know, there's plenty of things that are really hard to ruin. And we all have those t-shirts and we all have those clothes, you know. And there are some people that only hand wash their denim and put it in the freezer for antibacterial and wash it once a year. Like there are those people and the rest of us throw our jeans in the washing machine. But yeah, I just keep, I just keep a basin on the floor and I throw, um, you know, I hand wash my bras. So we have lots of, you know, I have the fancy, you know, the fancy fabric equivalent of the nanny Euro equivalent of bras, you know, good quality <laughs> bras. 
from stores that are customers. But every week I do a load in the washing machine with soak, whether it's quilts because, you know, the kids have been playing with them or they took them outside or the cat barfed on one or whatever. Yeah. And sweaters and dresses and shirts I've made, like wearing a linden sweatshirt made out of Robert Kaufman flannel. So not like the most soak worthy of items, but I still wash it delicately because I have a t-shirt underneath it. It's not getting, it's getting ambient dirt on it. It's getting, yeah. you know, splashes from cooking or whatever on it. It doesn't need crazy tied whiteners and brighteners. Yeah. Um, so you yeah. can put soak right in your washing machine like you would yeah. with any other high efficiency liquid detergent, right? Yeah. You just follow the follow the directions on your machine. It's a low suds formula. So less is more. You won't get like a big raging ton of bubbles. So don't keep putting more in. At yeah. least once a year, we get an email or a letter from someone whose partner has thought that soak was bubble bath and used like half a bottle to get enough bubbles for the bubble bath. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> this is so-and-so's name. They owe me a new bottle now. So yeah, you won't get a lot of suds. It's not meant. Suds are an illusion. You can design the amount of suds that you want into a product. So you don't need to, to worry about that. So you just, you know, less is more. Yeah. So good. So I know exactly what I saw at QuiltCon, your booth. It's like you're a master of this was beautiful. I loved the way your booth was set up. You had the very perfect little space for doing demonstrations and everything. But what do you think it is with your product that really resonates with the customer? Like, what do you think it is that keeps them coming back? I think it's trust. I think it's that people are, I mean, we do try to make it beautiful. We want it to be beautiful for the consumer to have at home, but also easy for a store to merchandise. There's enough ugly in the world from a product packaging standpoint. So we want it to be beautiful and smell great. The fragrances, we work really hard on the fragrances yeah. for them to be light and clean and soak worthy as we call them. But mostly it is trust. It's people come to us when they want to take care of something that's really important to them. And whether they've had the experience of ruining something before, whether it's, you know, it doesn't matter whether you spent $200 on a bra or 200 hours making a quilt or knitting a sweater. It's that emotional connection that people have with something that they love, whether they made it or not. I mean, obviously as makers, we're more sensitive to, you know, our time and our love. One of my favorite all-time greeting cards was like, I just spent 200 hours making this, please don't ruin it. And so we're more sensitive to our time and our labor for sure. Yeah. And I've always been a maker. I've always made things for people. You know, I've, I've taught Stella to, she makes her own wrapping paper. We were going to so many birthday parties these days, but I take out a big piece of white, you know, a pad of big white paper and her these crayon marker things we have or paint crayons or whatever they're called. And I make her decorate the paper and it's not for lack of, you know, it's not for lack of going to like winners or TJ Maxx and buying all the holiday wrapping paper, you know, um, and for our anniversary, she's like, can we just use real wrapping paper? <laughs> like on a book for 10, like, <laughs> sure. but for birthday parties, you know, the kids gifts, you can practically spend more money on the explosion of bows and stuff. So we just, you know, decorate paper and then it's got such a personal touch. And so I've always been a maker and I've always, I love the idea of giving someone the gift of your time and your energy and your love. And, and so you do that. You don't want people to ruin it. And even if it's your hard earned, hard earned money and you spend it on a present or a gift, you know, or you go with your friends and you all get new lingerie for somebody's wedding or for a party or something like that. Them And, and if you don't know how you're going to wash something or take care of it, you're, you're much less likely to use it. I want people to, you know, finish heirloom quilt tops that they find, or whether it's at a garage sale or your great grandmother made it, or you marry into it and find this bin of things, you know, if you don't know how you're going to wash something, it's really hard to use it. So we always yeah. get the call when somebody makes like a batik and white wall hanging and then their roof leaks because a tree fell on their house and they want to like, the color's all running. And I'm like, oh, why don't we just say wash your fabrics first, you know, like, yeah, we don't make color catchers. We're not about like stabilizing yeah. dyes and things like that, but you know. Yeah. You know, obviously we're not pre-washing like 
jelly rolls and layer cakes and small pieces like that. But yeah, I recommend if you get like a bunch of, you know, Dresden plate vintage pieces that you soak them in a basin or put them in your sink and throw some soak on them and get the dirt off and make sure they're not going to fall apart before you start working with them because there's nothing worse than yeah finishing them and then finding out that they're not strong enough to be, you know, in a piece that you're going to use. And yeah, I, I think a lot of us are, you know, we spend our lives caring for everyone. I mean, hopefully we care for ourselves too, but it's nice to take care of our special stuff, right? And, okay. and people don't, we talk a lot about invisible dirt because you don't necessarily see how dirty things are that are so grimy. Yeah. So yeah. if my kid comes in inside from playing in the, you know, our new backyard, which is mud, like it's spring here, like his pants are stained, his knees are stained, I can yeah. see the dirt, right? But if I wear the same, you know, cardigan for a seven day work trip that's been on buses and airplanes and hotels and restaurants and the floor and a convention hall and in a bin, you know, it might not look dirty, but it is in the same way that your, you know, sports bra after a workout, if you throw it over the railing three hours later, it's still dirty, even if it's dry and looks the same, you know? Yeah. Yeah. We're going to talk about your website in a minute, but you've mentioned the word soak worthy a couple of times. So I just want to read this this definition that's on your website. So soak worthy is number one, something that is deserving of special care and attention because of its emotional value. And number two, a person or thing that merits recognition for manifesting soak values. That's so great. I love that. So speaking of people, um, let's talk about your team a little bit. So who's on the team at Soakwash? We have an amazing team. There are 10 of us in our office. And then we have kind of partners all over the world. My husband, who's renovating our office right now and does IT and infrastructure. Suzanne is our VP of content and strategy. She, I've known her for longer than I've known Ted. She had a store. She was a milliner. She had a hat store on Queen Street in Toronto when I met her. And she had a sign in the window that said room for rent, studio for rent. And I met her because I knocked on the door and rented her studio behind her shop. Behind her shop was her studio and then my studio in the back. And then she went to Montreal and worked for Cirque du Soleil and merchandising, corporate background, strategy, (laughs) all those things. And then she went into the fabric industry and she was working as a marketing director at Camelot Fabrics. And so then she was looking for something new and came on board with us at Soak and it's really been magic. And then under her is Deanna in in marketing. She was one of my students when I taught design management and I knew I knew I wanted to work with her in the future. And she went back to Columbia and she back to, came back to Canada. And I was like, what are you doing? And she was like, I don't know. And I was like, great, I have a job opening. You're interviewing next week. <laughs> and then we have an operations team. We have a sales, a sales team. Tanya, I've known my whole life. She came to help us out when we were down in the warehouse. We were missing someone and a very good friend of my sister's. And I was like, no, nah, I don't hire friends. That's not a thing I do. And then we were sort of desperate. And then she helped out. And then she just kept putting all these systems in place. And I was like, what is this magic? And so she left her other job and came on with us full time. Um, oh, Melody, nice. Melody, who runs our business to business, she worked at Triumph, the lingerie company. And when they closed their offices and we were scaling at the same time, we brought her on board. Sylvia and AO, Sylvia runs our warehouse and AO works with her and they make sure that all the orders get shipped out and that they're packed perfectly. And if, you know, people are, people are always curious, the warehouse team, they're the most important part of your company because they're the ones that interface between the product and the customers. And so, yeah, when someone emails and complains, it's going to be sales or customer service that gets the callback, but their first impression is going to be what, what went out of the warehouse. Yeah. Priya does all our finance stuff. So yeah, we have a really great and comprehensive team at our office. And then we have partners all around the world. So we have freelance photographers and copywriters and graphic designers. And then we have distributors and sales agents and people kind of all over the world. And 
that we work with. So we really have a, my friend once called it a micro multinational. (laughs) (laughs) That's how she describes companies like that, that have a, a small core team, but then people all around who support them. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so we are now we're going to get into the types of products and the features and the fragrances. So tell me about the different types of products you offer at Soak Wash. Yeah, so our core product is Soak, which is our dental laundry soap for the clothes you love most. And it comes in six cents plus scentless for your sensitive side. And then we created Flatter ironing spray, so a wrinkle release anti-static smoothing spray in the same fragrances. And then we do have a hand cream called Handmade. It's a shea butter with vitamin A and E. We used to have a foot cream named Heel. It was for feet worthy of hand knit socks. Um, <laughs> That's great. Which was pretty fun. And, and then we have some auxiliary items. We have our basins for hand washing and we have our eco wash bag, which is a, a really beautiful wash bag. And they're color coordinated zippers. So we actually have them in all the colors to match all the bottles because I like colors and I like my life to be more complicated. So why have one when you can have seven? And uh, yeah, and so we do those in bundles and gift sets, like a hand-washing set and a machine-washing set or a family set. And so they're all available available like that in different sizes and in different combinations. Yeah, so I love it. You can choose one because of the fragrance. You can choose the color you like. You can yeah. have the whole rainbow. Lots of people keep more than one. Yeah. And they smell so good. So tell us about the fragrances. How do you come up with fragrance and how many do you have? Tell us about those a bit. We work with different fragrance suppliers and fragrance houses. And we've done over the years, a combination of readily available fragrances from like trend reports or things that they have versus like also making our own sense up, like developing the fragrances. And We started with three originally, and they have all since retired. So we sometimes retire fragrances, and sometimes we bring them back for a little while, haven't in a while. Some of them we retire because we want to bring something new out, and we just don't have the like cash flow or shelf space. (laughs) And sometimes, you know, we retired our our first citrus-based scent because the fragrance really wasn't stable in really, really cold temperatures. So it would kind Mm -hmm. of, we called it a cloud, would kind of form if it got well below zero for a while. And most of the time, soak will freeze and then thaw out and everything will be fine. But uh, the citrus was kind of clouding a bit. And so we had to reformulate. And so from a manufacturing standpoint, it's not supposed to go below five degrees Celsius or like just above freezing. But, you know, we live in Canada after all. So, you know, (laughs) absolutely. Or even setting up at the Sheep and Wolf Festival overnight, you know, all the barns are outside. So it can be very cold overnight before you get there in the morning. So and then we've done some collaboration fragrances. We did a big, big project for Thimbleberries, which is an old iteration of RJR fabrics from many moons ago. And we've worked with Ravelry, which is the big network for a social network for knitters. And we did a custom fragrance called Unleash. And we did re-release that on the 10th anniversary of making it. And so sometimes it's fun to do limited edition, things like that. Everyone wants a custom fragrance. It's really hard and expensive to make a custom fragrance. It takes yeah. like six months to develop. We do a minimum of 10,000 bottles and 25,000 single-use samples for a custom scent. Yeah. And so we recommend most people just work with soak scents that exist already in the beginning or custom like gift sets or co-packs or things like that. But the fragrances we work, we have a, a fragrance guideline, like a little mini directory of what makes a fragrance soak worthy that we use when we develop fragrances. And then we test them as the fragrance, we test them in the products, we test them when you're using the products to make sure that they smell beautiful, but are not overwhelming, and they don't stay and linger on your clothing. Um, And you can use soak for hand or machine washing, and you don't have to rinse it out. It's a a rinse-free wash or a quick rinse wash. And so 
if you don't rinse it out, you can have hints of it if you work really hard to kind of smell them. But at the same time, if it goes in the machine, it just gets rinsed out. And it's not meant to be a, a lingering center perfume. It's it's meant to make it so that you like the way it smells, so you want to use it. Yeah. <laughs> it's really simple. It's not complicated, right? If, you're, if your soap smells pretty, you go wash your hands more, you know? Yeah. That's why we have beautiful fragranced hand soaps at our kitchen sink, so that we wash our hands more, you know? So the fragrance of the bottle is really for you to just enjoy the graphics on it and then open it up and, and, you know, get into the moment, you know, get into that experience of a little, you know, I won't quite go as far as calling it like aromatherapy self-care or anything like that. But just, you know, (laughs) if it smells gross or it doesn't, you know, you're not going to do it. You're not going to want to use it. So the fragrances are really designed and the variety of fragrances is both so people can pick one that they love because we all have different fragrance profiles. Yeah. And also so that the store has a beautiful array to merchandise. And yes, you can have everything in one scent and move on with your life, but why? Yeah. Why? And also so. for those people who are a little bit sensitive to fragrances, you have scentless, right? Mm-hmm. All our fragrances are hypoallergenic and we do work from a skincare background for our formulas and we work with skin grade quality synthetic fragrances. And so people tend to think without knowing that you would be more sensitive to a synthetic fragrance, but people are actually more sensitive to essential oils uh, and to yeah. natural fragrances. So the hypoallergenic skin grade quality fragrances do tend to have less situations of sensitivity. So most people who are fragrance intolerant can pick a soak fragrance that they like. Yeah. But we do always have scentless for people who want a beautiful bottle that doesn't smell. Yeah. If I'm doing a class where, you know, someone is allergic to something, they'll say, by the way, no one can bring any of these starchy things that are really smelly because it makes people just, they can't breathe, right? So it's great to have that taken care of. And in general, you should just not use a a spray thing that makes people not be able to breathe for yourself. So yeah, yeah, there's just no need. There is no need. So yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So I want to take a little bit of a dive into the website because it's beautiful. There's so many features of it and there's some really good information there too, especially for someone like me who does not take care of her laundry. Well, I mean, I do my laundry, <laughs> I wash it, I throw it in the wash and I throw it in the dryer and literally nothing else. Um, there's not very many clothes in my wardrobe that need delicate care yet, but I think I might change that now. <laughs> some might, and you might not know it, right? Like some yeah, things it's could true. just like, last I, longer. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure that I go through my swimwear much more often than I need to really. So mm-hmm. uh, I'll I'll buy something at Winners rather than a very nice fancy high-end store because I know I'm going to trash it pretty quickly. So it's time for me to change that, I guess. But let's take a look at the website. It is soakwash.com and you can go there and find, well, of course you can shop there. You can buy all the products there, but there's all kinds of other goodies in there. So let's talk a little bit about, well, first of all, locations. Where can we find all the products? So we have stores around the world and our upgraded website will have a beautiful store locator where you'll be able to click on it and find stores near you. But uh, yeah, lingerie stores, swim shops, quilt shops, knitting shops on our website and some of your bigger like Crafts Americana, Jimmy Beans Wool, Well.ca in Canada, Silhouettes in Quebec. So a mix of independent stores, chain stores, websites, that kind of thing. And if you have a store that you think you'd really want to find these products in and they don't, just get in touch with a contact us button on the website and say, hey, like sort out getting, get these products into this store for us. So yeah, our store locator upgrade is is coming. Yeah. And you have some really great insider information on the website for those people who are selling the product or want to sell the product. They can actually log in and find out more information, right? Yeah. Soak School is sort of the central feature of our website. When you when you make products and you have websites, everyone always says you're either a learning website or you're a selling website. Yeah. 
And we are fortunately or unfortunately both. Um, mm-hmm. and so every time we go to a new iteration, they're like, do you want to be a selling website or do you want to be a learning website? And I was like, I want to be both because we have the data that says people come to our website to learn. And once yeah. they've learned what they want to learn, then they go buy the product. So yeah. Soak School kind of teaches you all the different you know, a little snippet into, you know, swimwear, workout wear, cashmere, linen, all the different materials that you might want to soak. And then the store, if you're a store that sells our product, you have Soak School that you can share with your customers. And then we have another whole database called Insider Information, which is the background, more technical stuff and the how to sell and all those kind of things on the back end. Because we really wanted to, it's not just about, like, sometimes people don't understand, like, where do you get something? You get it in a store. And I was like, okay, cool. There's a massive ecosystem that takes place to get stuff to that store. And so often we don't think about that. You know, you get annoyed when there are no, you know, bananas on the shelf or whatever. I got Felix needed antibiotics and like, there's a global shortage of liquid antibiotics right now. Mm. So you can, you have, you can either be just annoyed at the pharmacy that you, that you can't get it. But then if you, if you learn like the whole supply chain behind a product is like a whole different thing. So we also have a huge amount of resources to make the supply chain side of it easier for the stores to put the product on display and to merchandise it and to talk about it in social and to all the things. So a wealth of work goes into that back end of a product before it gets on the shelf. Yeah. And I love the Soak School area of the website because, you know, just for myself thinking, you know, I'm going shopping this weekend and I'm going to go look at that lingerie now. I'm going to go look at that stuff that I, or the sweater I might not have otherwise bought. And when you go into the Soak School, first of all, it starts off by saying soak like a pro, which is great, but it has so over 30, like six, 37 topics like hand washing, machine washing, face masks, knitwear, whatever you think you want to try, the flatter or anything like that, workout wear. It gives you all the little tips about all the things that you could possibly wash or use flatter or, you know, use the products for. And there's even an area of beauty tools. So tell us about that. Oh, for sure. So if you use makeup brushes, whether it's like a blush brush or an eyeshadow brush or like a crease line tool. <laughs> I'm like thinking, oh my gosh, I've never I washed that never stuff. washed those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So put a little soak, put, wet your hands, put a little soak on your hand, put a little bit of water and then um, kind of color, swoosh that paintbrush around in it and all the gucky accumulated layers of multicolor makeup will just like pour off your brushes and they'll be brand new again and you can you can go from there. I'm kind of horrified. Um, I'm horrified right now. Well, but, you have to try it and let us know. I, it's really, it's like a, it's sort of a eureka moment when people do that for the first time. It's also great on like commercial paintbrushes too, because you think your paintbrush is clean and then you put some soak in your hand and you swish it around and this like last blush of color comes yeah. out of it. And you're like, ah, there yeah. you go. Now we're clean. So yeah, um, I've never washed my beauty tools. And I mean, just, you know, first of all, I should qualify that I, I don't wear makeup unless I absolutely am speaking or doing something fancy or whatever. Once in a while, I will get dolled up for something, but I try not to wear makeup as much as possible. But yeah, oh my gosh, I think I, I think I am one of those people who has makeup that's way too old, first of all. <laughs> and then the tools. Well, most, makeup, most makeup and powders and lipstick don't have water in them. So they don't grow bacteria, which is why you can have makeup forever. Or you can yeah. have your grandmother's lipstick and you can still wear it versus like a bottle of soak, which you don't want to have 20 years from now because it is a yeah. water-based product. And, and that is not, you know, it's, People always ask if it's all natural and why isn't it all natural? And natural things 
natural things like grow molds and funguses and stuff. And so we, we pour out our bottle of soak. And then when there's a drip, we use our finger to swoop the drip. And so if you do that on your maple syrup bottle, you lick your finger. Obviously, you don't do it on your detergent, but there's bacteria on your hands and there's water in the bottle. So you need stabilities and you need those kind of preservatives in products to keep to, to keep them having a shelf life. And so people really always want them to be all natural, but all natural things also have to be refrigerated and stay out of sunlight and things like that. So there's always kind of this balance of like the product life cycle in with the features and benefits that somebody wants. There's so many great topics on here, including organizing your space and Tinka. What's Tinka? Oh, Tinka is a professional organizer. She's a good friend of Soak and she is an amazing, amazing person who will help you kind of go through your closet or go through your house or go through your laundry room. And you want to make these things accessible. You know, that's why I have a bottle of Soak in each one of my bathrooms, because if I spill something and then... I don't deal with it right away. If it's not easy for me to do it, then I'm not likely to do it. Like I have a yeah. shirt that I that just jogged my memory. I should deal with it this afternoon. But I went out for lunch and I wore a white a white shirt and I had a veal sandwich, which was a terrible idea. <laughs> um, it was delicious, but a terrible idea. But now I have to wash the grease out of my white shirt. And I didn't do it that night. Like I should have just yeah. put the soak on it and switched it around. And now I'm going to be fighting kind of a bigger stain. So yeah, she's great for helping you like organize your laundry room and make sure you have, you know, little things that, that make your life easier, like having a basin for your hand washables nearby so that you can just throw them in the same place, but adjacent to the rest of your laundry. Yeah, so good. There's so there's so there's an expert you have here, Tinka, and she's got a tip on the laundry scaries, which looks like it's about the topic of a lot of people don't know how to hand wash. So they're actually kind of afraid of it. So she goes through step by step how, how to take care of things. So that's really great. There's a lot of good information there. So great website. I encourage you guys to all go check it out. And again, it's soakwash.com. Actually, now we have a dot right, ca. If you're in Canada, you can. Yeah, it just CA. goes automatically, right? Yeah, it goes automatically wherever you are. So. Okay. Okay, so let's have a chat about your newsletter. So, what will we find in your newsletter if we sign up for that? We have we send out two emails a week. I think one of them is sort of short and sweet on product features and benefits, and the other one is generally a theme that we're working on, whether it is like a collaboration with someone like Tinka or a new product or how to wash something kind of specific. And we do do a lot of giveaways where we partner with like-minded companies across all kinds of industries, whether they're, you know, whether it's something as quote specific like ORFL thread, where we'll do like a giveaway of some thread that matches some soak, or we've worked with tea companies and, you know, other like-minded women entrepreneurs who have great businesses that are entirely unrelated industries but the same kind of passionate values for packaging and design and product development, like Pluck Tea, that giveaway was hugely popular. And so we do do a lot of giveaways if you sign up for our newsletter. So they're pretty fun just to introduce other products and other industries and keeping it fun. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, like encircled, so like sustainable, locally made fashion, like clothing or Mayana Genevieve, which is maternity lingerie. So we always try to partner with other people and other brands because... That way we all kind of work together to elevate each other's businesses. Yeah. yeah. So you travel all over the place going to shows and, and you know, selling your wares and things like that. Do you have any crazy cool things, stories from your travels or anything like that? Oh, my very first quote market, like the best and, you know, quote market tends to provide the really good stories. I'm not really sure why, but the first quote market, I was with my mom because I didn't have staff at the time. And... She was great to travel with. And we were walking down the aisle. It was during setup day. And a woman named Gina Halliday, who's a very, one of the very first quote bloggers. 
and shop owners and designers. And she had a quilt and she, you know, I'm making a gesture that she sort of had the folded up quilt and she grabbed the corners and like swooshed it out into the aisle. And it was the first time that my mom and I had seen Amy Butler fabric. It was made out of, it was sort of a quilt in the day project. So very simple pattern and made out of Amy's like first collection. Well, not first fabric collection, but first with Free Spirit, which I guess was Rowan and Westminster Fiber back then. And my mother went, holy fuck, that's gorgeous. Uh, <laughs> and then we learned that like 90% of the quilting industry is made up of Mormons who don't swear. So oh, no. including the person that we were just talking to. So <laughs> every time I see her for literally the last like 15 years or so, she asks me how my fucking gorgeous mother is as well. So, <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it's kind of good and kind of memorable. And then we did have one quilt market once where I was standing in, you know, proximity of Kay Fasson and Brandon Mabley and being int- reintroduced to them. They meet so many people, as do I. Not that many, I guess. But and Brandon said, "You know, Jacqueline, she owns soap. We washed, you know, we just just last night in the hotel room, we washed our knickers in that soap." <laughs> and I was like, "Well, that is one way to get an introduction." That Brandon Mabley and Kate Fassett wash their underwear when they travel in soap. Amazing. So, not the kind of thing you can like publish on your website, but it was an excellent yeah. moment for those of us around because it wasn't like, "Oh, you just pre-washed your fabric or you matched your." quilt or you know collaborated or whatever it's like we used it in the hotel room last night so yeah and well and what a great idea too right because how many times do we travel and we're trying to bring as little clothes as possible and sometimes we want to go halfway through our, through our trip and then we got to wash a few things so mm-hmm. you do have travel sizes as well right we do yeah we have single use samples and then we also have small like flight friendly bottles and and yeah like there's no question that if you use the soap that's in your hotel whether you're staying at the fanciest hotel or the roadside motel, like it will get clean, yeah. but it just has to do with what else it's doing to the fibers, how your hands feel about the washing experience. If it doesn't feel good to hand wash something, you're not going to do it again. And so when we come from a skincare background and we work with high quality products, I can do a demo. I can be on a stage. I can do a washing demo. I can soak something like it's always a pain to carry water to a stage. So I don't do it very often, but I can do a demo. I can soak something, I can pull it out, I can squeeze it, I can roll it in a towel, and then I can keep talking because my hands don't feel like I have to like run away and wash it all off because they're slimy. And so if you have a hand washing detergent and you wash something and then you have to go wash your hands vigorously to clean your hands, then what's what's left and what's happening to the fibers, you know? So that's just sort of a simple way to kind of say, what am I using now when I'm washing, when I'm washing things? So yeah. And we, you know, our travels have taken us to all kinds of cities. You know, I've gone to trade shows in Paris and I go to London a lot and I might get to go to one of our distributors in Poland this fall, which would be pretty cool. And, you know, all kinds of cities. And it's nice to kind of see what's in the cities when you're there and some, you know, yeah. trade shows or exhibits or things like that. So, yeah. Okay. So I think we've got a really good kind of story of the business and how that went along. I want to go back into quilting a little bit now and talk about, is there a quilt or a quilt project along the way that's been most memorable for you? Oh, I have so many, so many places we can go there. I have two baby quilts that are made out of old, the kids old clothes and some of my clothes and a shirt that was my dad's. That's Suzanne, our VP. She has a book, Modern Memory Quilts, just exceptional, especially if you want to make quilts out of clothing or old fabric talks through that whole process in great detail. And so she made quilts for Stella and Felix that are in that book. And between starting the quilt and finishing the book, my father passed away. So it's pretty special that one of the key feature fabrics in one of the two quilts, I had a lot of trouble getting pregnant. So one of the fabrics is a a Liberty of London shirt that I bought trying to like ease my sadness and pain in London. And it just doesn't work (laughs) no matter where, even if you're standing in Liberty and you buy a shirt. I mean, obviously it was a shirt that I could afford. So maybe if I'd bought a fancier shirt, it might've worked, but the shirt that I could afford. So we cut it up for that quilt. And then one of my dad's favorite shirts, 
in the other quilt because I have twins in the pair. You know, I think that I think that everything that we make is time time stamped. You know, I had a lot of fertility trouble and I made a whole bunch of I did a lot of hand sewing and hand work on quilts in that year leading up to being successfully pregnant. And all those pillows are actually kind of wearing out at the same time now because they they were not, you know, they're made with a mix of like, I'll put some nanny or I'll put some silk or I'll put some like things that I know are not, don't have huge longevity that, you know, upholstery fabric is upholstery fabric for a reason. Yeah. And so I have this whole series of quilts now that my kids are like almost seven that are these are these pillows that are all kind of wearing out at the same time. You know, and I have my first quilt that I made here and I like to gift things. So there are, you know, yeah, there are so many good quilts that are locked in, in specific memories. And I think that's the beauty of them. You know, I don't have, I don't have one of those like quilting journals where I have every quilt that I've ever made documented. Sometimes you just make something great and off it goes into the world. But yeah, those are some key, key ones around here that I really love. Okay. And in your whirlwind of an entrepreneurial world, what brings you joy? Oh, I'm exhausted these days. Sewing still brings me joy. I don't have a lot of time for it. My family brings me joy. We're really a family first and there are no detergent emergencies kind of company. We're not, you know, we're not saving the world. So we work, we work so that we can have the things that we want in our family. And so if I'm giving a lecture on soak, soak is the most important thing in the world. But if you're talking to me, like soak is a really important thing in the world. And I value that it adds value to other people's lives as well. So if I, you know, I'm thinking of, you know, a store they just placed an order this week. It's a lingerie swimmer store in Barrie. It's owned by an amazing woman. I've watched her since she launched the store and have multiple people working on her team and her contribution to her community. So the fact that I created something that I can earn a living from, but then also she contributes to her living in a significant way and adds value to her community, that that really gives me joy, that kind of life cycle of how what we do really affects a lot of people. And and I actually like that in between kind of food chain effect of it versus just, I mean, we do sell direct to, to consumers, but I also like that my little soak section in a store contributes to the financial viability of that, of that place as well. So that really, that really gives me joy, that success and seeing other people be able to be successful with the product. I really love that, you know, color gives me joy. And so I really enjoy you know, everything from the changing of the season. So where we live is like, it's really rural. And so everything's kind of dirty hay color in spring, but then I've discovered winter grass as it's called, or winter wheat it's called. And it looks like beautiful green grass as soon as like the snow disappears. And so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that is my favorite question. I love hearing about all the joy. And right now we are going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk all about Jacqueline's studio space, the book, and some wonderful collaborations that have happened along the way. We'll be right back. Have you ever dreamed of touring the countryside of England and Wales? Well, we will hit incredible landmarks like Stonehenge, the Victorian Albert Museum, the Jenny Jones Welsh Quilt Centre, Caffili Castle, and so much more. Grab a friend and book your summer holiday with me for this scenic tour ending with two days at the Festival of Quilts Birmingham. This trip is designed just for you with the quilter in mind. Book your spot today by calling Judy at Opulent Quilt Journeys, one 235 3767. Okay. And we are back with Jacqueline Sava of Soak Wash. Now, Jacqueline, tell us about your studio space. Where do you create? Well, we just recently moved. And so I don't have a studio space right now, but my favorite place to sew is up at the cottage. It's like a family cottage. It's really little, but I sew outside on the deck. 
And so Ted put like industrial plugs outside. And so we have a big picnic table. And so sewing there is really my favorite outdoor studio mm-hmm. for a whole myriad of reasons. But I kind of love wherever I can drag all my stuff and, and set up shop and sewing with my friends. So my studio is really kind of a mobile place wherever my my friends and my favorite people are. Oh, that's great. And what's your favorite time of day? I am a morning person. I've not succeeded in reestablishing my morning routine since I moved. Note to self. Um, (laughs) But I love early morning. I love waking up before everybody else and getting a whole bunch of stuff done before before anyone wakes up and a good sunrise morning person. Yeah, that's great. Okay, now I want to chat about this gorgeous book. I got it in the mail. I was so delighted just flipping through the pages. It is beautiful. It's called The Handmade Getaway. So tell us about how you got that started. Why did it happen? So the first time I took my sewing stuff to the cottage, Ted and I were going up for about a week. So, you know, 15 years ago or whatever. And so I wanted to bring my sewing stuff and he brought, he was racing radio control cars for fun at the time. So he brought a bunch of his stuff. And we actually brought a sewing table down on like by the edge of the water, like a folding table, but it was too sunny and hot. And I kept shorting out my presser foot. Yeah. <laughs> it was connecting the heat was connecting the presser foot. So it kept like just starting to sew. So it's like, okay, retreat back to the deck, go back to the deck. <laughs> uh, but sewing outside was so spectacular. And I had seen someone once when I was in my twenties. sew outside and that, that memory had stuck with me all these years. And so I was like, well, it's portable. Why can't I set it up outside rather than inside? And so. The next summer, I said, I'm going to invite some friends to come sew as well. And I I was new into quilting and I had met Karen in the workroom because we, you know, I met her because we had sold her silk for the shop and I had gone to quilt Sundays. And so I decided to invite um, a group of five women up to the cottage for a week to sew for a little sewing sewing getaway. I'm sure we didn't call it a getaway back then, but just to go sew. And I didn't really know anyone very well. And I was like, well, how better to get to know people than by being away and sewing? Because we know that when you sew, you can, you know, what what I love about our, our sewing times is you can go like six hours without talking. You know, someone will like put gummy bears and chips on the table and, you know, <laughs> pop a bottle of wine, but we might not talk, you know? And so Karen and Catherine, another friend, uh, Katrina, Angeline, and, and, and so we just, we went and we brought all our stuff and and then we started doing it twice a year and our group has kind of grown to include a, a few more people, Suzanne, Maria, but not really much more than that. And the pandemic's messed with it a bit for sure. But before that, we were going twice a year, Katrina's sister's cottage in the winter, mine in the summer, because ours is little and not winterized. And when it rains, it's very crowded inside to try to set a cutting table up and an ironing board and all those things. And over the years, we were sitting once at Katrina's sister's cottage on the last day, and we realized that we really had kind of developed a pretty good system because the first year we said, well, there's, you know, five people, five days, everybody do a breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and we'll have enough food, except it was corn season and everybody brought corn. And you can't eat five days worth of corn in five days, you know? Um, and so we started having like little charts and systems. And the first time we had like 7,000 rulers, you know, and Karen, Karen from the workroom is a photographer as well. And so she always documents everything. And so she had been photographing our getaways throughout the year. And, and we would do collaborative projects together kind of intuitively. You know, I always hated that the linen closet at the cottage was overflowing and all sheets like went to the cottage to die. And as a young adult, I was traveling and I went to like a pottery barn outlet and I bought a set of twin sheets. And my mom was like, you can't buy new sheets for the cottage. I was like, well, I have a credit card and they're like $20. And so actually I can, I will, because I'm exhausted from these like 1980s worn out sheets, you know? And also my mom had worked for Vera in the sixties and seventies. So a lot of these sheets were like sixties and seventies Vera sheets that were quite stunning. And then 
when Ted and I moved in, I had taken, you know, he had a duvet and I took my duvet up to the cottage and then everyone was fighting, you know, our family would be fighting for this cozy duvet. And I was like, it's just a department store duvet, you know? And so I decided I was going to make quilts for each one of the beds out of these old sheets. So I, I tore apart the linen closets. I was like, there's no need for things that don't fit. And so I made quilts out of these old sheets and all these old memories. And, you know, my sheets from when I was a kid and my sister is Sandra Boynton sheets from when she was a kid. And, and so this book kind of developed out of, out of that love for being away together. And this, this database of photography that Karen had amassed over the years. So you can't, I mean, you can write a book about having a retreat or a getaway, but it's an entirely different thing to have an archive of 10 years of photography to dig into. And so Karen and I co-authored the book. We developed sort of the language around family, food, and friends being the three main kind of categories. We left out a lot of good recipes because then you need like a food editor and that gets to an entirely other level of authorship. Yeah. And we, you know, developed like cocktail, you know, cocktail hour and cocktail of the day and you know, chip o'clock and all these things and lots of little pro tips that we learned and, you know, making little labels for your, your presser foot and your iPhone charger. Cause when your bestie is a Bernina dealer, you all have the same sewing machine. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And when you have to clear the table, you know, when someone's, you know, the, the luxury of having your friends and having to choose like which days you're cooking is you can have, you can be like, I'm going to make three dinners or I'm going to make all my meals in one day. And then I don't have to worry about it. So there's this amazing luxury of especially women who are predominant, you know, cooks and caretakers and stuff. There's this beautiful thing that happens when you just get to keep sewing until somebody says dinner's ready, you know? Yeah. Like that doesn't happen right now. Uh, And I'm fine with it. I'm in a supreme relationship where we do all kinds of things, you know, together and equally and separate and whatever. But at the same time to have a day where, you know, you can wake up and you can just sew all day. And someone will bring you tea and someone will make lunch and someone will put out dinner and someone will make a cocktail of the day is kind of an exceptional luxury. And so, but at the same time, when it's time to set the table and everyone just whips their machines off the table and throws their stuff aside, you you really want to know which phone charger was yours when you go yeah. home or which presser foot. So everything from that to, and also the length of a trip, if we were all sewing together for a day, you know, before we moved in, we had this house for a year. So it was the perfect place for a getaway because there was not a lot of furniture. So lots of floor space to lay out a quilt yeah. and no kids. And so if you're sewing for a few hours or a day or a weekend or a week, there's also different systems you need in terms of the kind of projects you bring. You know, if you're there for a week, you bring your big quilt and everybody helps baste it. If you're there for an afternoon, you're not going to bring a basting quilt where everybody is not going to want to use up their only two hours of time. And so if you only have two hours, you might do hand sewing instead of carrying, you know, your serger and that kind of thing. Yeah. And, you know, we've made, you know, group baby quilts, you know, quilt alongs kind of things in those in those getaways as well. And also, you know, it's a great opportunity when you're with your friends to push a limit. You know, Karen teaches apparel classes. You know, my mom was a clothing designer, so I can help you, you know, redo your bust line on a shirt so that or a dress so that it fits properly. But you also have to bring your good bra, like just because you're going away in your sweats for a week. If you're going to if you're going to if you're going to get fitted for a dress, you better have a good bra that puts your puts your cleavage where it's supposed to be. Otherwise you can't really do it. You know, it's the same thing as like hemming a skirt with the shoes you're going to wear if you really want to be specific. So little tips like that about how to pack and make sure, you know, always have batting tape because somebody's going to make a quilt bigger than what they thought they were going to. And you're going to have to put two pieces together. So all the things that we learned over all those years, Karen and I decided to see if we could put together into, into a book. And we did we did a Kickstarter to self-publish the book and we raised a boatload of money very quickly, which was extraordinary from our audience. And we put together some beautiful things like, you know, 
our dear friend Lizzie House offered to teach her a Meadows quilt class at a few quilt shops and as part of the Kickstarter and the grand prize, I guess, purchase prize, I guess, was quilting, a week-long quilting getaway at Maker's Luck in Dripping Springs, Texas for 10 people. And so a group from Florida, a group of women bought it and Karen and I went and we did, you know, we we sewed for a week and went on adventures and discovered hot springs and things like that. Watering holes in Texas, magical. So yeah. And so the book is just this beautiful, and we wanted it to be both a coffee table book and a quilting book and a journey book. So you can, and the interesting thing when we were talking to publishers is they said, you know, if it's how to plan a getaway and you have 10 friends and only one person needs to buy the book. And I was like, you don't, you don't understand how to get away with your girlfriends then. (laughs) That's not how it works really. But, and so it's really about the collaborative process of planning an adventure. And so just this accumulated, you know, knowledge, like we keep track of what rulers we're bringing because we don't need seven, you know, of the same ruler. We only set up one big cutting station. So you know, all these tips and tricks that we learned that will really save people more time when they want to just get into the heart of, of getting away. Yeah. And even food, you know, if you, if you, you know, my friends make spectacular food and, and some years I will go to an Italian bakery and buy a lasagna that's already made, ready and throw together a salad and that's my dinner. And sometimes Katrina will make Japanese dinner from scratch. Like she'll bring her, you know, or she'll make Indian and she'll grind her spices while she's there, you know? So yeah. it's, and that's, that's love for her. That's how she shows, that's how she shows love. But at the same time, if you're just gone for a day, you really yeah. want to bring food that's already made and already cut up in a container, yeah. you know, so you're not spending your time cooking and preparing things. So there's all these tricks that we've learned over, over time and, and they make for an incredible read. And then Karen, Karen's stunning photography. And then she of course topped it up to shoot all the projects in the book with meticulous yeah. instructions. Mm-hmm. Um, and Andrew Cloutier, who's the exceptional art director, graphic designer, laid out the book and it's just it just we wanted it to be a standalone kind of piece of art in and of itself which it yeah which it most certainly is how did it feel to have it in your hands for the first time crazy <laughs> you know I've worked on a lot of projects that are kind of you know what someone might call like a dream team or like a unicorn project that you just won't ever really be able to replicate again and um the full creation of that book and that kickstarter project is you know it would be hard to kind of replicate that magic that we put together again yeah. so started with bringing my sewing machine up north. Yeah. Let's talk about some of the collaborations you've had along the way. Yeah, we've done, we've been pretty lucky to work on some amazing projects. We did a fragrance with Amy Butler called Sola many years ago. That was pretty fun. We have worked with Ravelry and did a custom fragrance with them. We have a, a skew called the Soapbox, which is like a little gift set kind of thing. And we worked, we did a knitting one and we worked with Lorna's Laces, which is a spectacular yarn company, and Fiona Ellis, who's an amazing designer here in Toronto. And then, so it had patterns for fingerless gloves that Fiona had designed. And then we collaborated with Essie, and so we had Essie nail polish to match the custom dyed yarn that Lorna's Laces dyed. And then we had soak and our hand cream in it. So you could make fingerless gloves, paint your nails, have hand cream, wash your gloves, these very beautiful gift sets. So we always try to really have fun partnerships like that when we do product development. Yeah, that's so great. Okay. And you've, of course, you've been featured in magazines along the way and things like that. So tell us about a couple of those. You know, everyone always says, you know, you should send, you know, you should send that to Oprah or Martha Stewart or, and I was like, cool, do you have her, do you have her address? (laughs) Those kind of fun questions that we get most recently with knitting, it's Michelle Obama and all her like talking about how knitting relaxes and stuff. You got to get her some soak. I was like, cool. Can you get, can you get on that for me? That would be great. (laughs) Uh, We've, we've been in real simple. We have been in Martha Stewart living. We've been in Wirecutter. 
recommended us as the best detergent for hand washing sweaters and clothing. And that's been really exceptional. So getting some coverage for some really big mainstream magazines like The Strategist did a feature right at, at the end of the year of top products that they had purchased or used in 2022. And so those pieces are really nice for mainstream media to really solidify the brand and get it in front of more eyes than you can in our in our specific industries. So that's been that's been pretty cool. Fun, fun. Okay. So now we're going to get into the lightning round Robin. It's a series of rapid fire questions and it's super fun. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. What is your favorite tool or notion? Obviously it's soak and flutter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you have any kind of personal reward system for getting things done? Absolutely not. <laughs> Always behind on getting things done. So <laughs> what is a skill you'd still love to learn in quilting? I would still love to learn in quilting. Oh my gosh, I think it's a never-ending, a never-ending learning curve. No, that's a really good question. I have I'm working on a quilt for Stella and Felix, and so those two projects are kind of top of mind to finish because I started them when they were little and I was trying to finish them for when we moved into this house. Maybe not when they were little, like a year ago. Yeah. And then people keep telling me about like little kids bed quilts that you finish when they go to college. And I'm just trying not to (laughs) so those two are kind of top of mind right now. Yeah. Uh, well, finishing is a good finish. skill to learn. Right? Finishing, yeah. <laughs> finishing yeah. projects before I start another one. That is the whole thing <laughs> skill that I would like to learn. Okay. What are some of your favorite collections of things? Oh, I collect so many things. I collect deviled egg trays. What? <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. I just think they're really beautiful and they have like the really good shapes and they're really kind of interesting. Do they come in like metal and Tupperware and all the different kinds of? I don't have Tupperware. Yeah, they do. They do. I have like a sterling silver one. I have some white ones. I have one that's shaped like a that's shaped like a chicken or a rooster or a hen or whatever it is. Yeah, I just think they have really interesting shapes. Um, cool. Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely collect fabric and I collect I collect books, and I have no shame in not always reading them or hardly <laughs> reading them because I think they're beautiful. And some days you just have time, and some days you don't have time. Do you have another favorite hobby besides quilting? I do. I love, I'm a rower. I love rowing. Not as much in the years of little children. And this house is fast becoming a hobby for sure in terms of like putting things out and curating spaces and getting it organized. Mm-hmm. Of course, we already know from this interview that you were an avid knitter as well. With yeah, the knitting I'm, you machine. Know, I, yeah, I love, I haven't had my knitting machine out in years and I like to knit, but I only used to knit when I traveled because like little hands in the way and I'm tired at night and there's not enough light. And so I'm a very good like airport and an airplane traveler because I also can't knit and talk at the same time. And then I <laughs> I had just taken out my pre-pandemic sweater that I was knitting while I was traveling to finish again on these big, these big trips that I had. And then I wasn't reading my instructions properly and I screwed up my pattern. And then I had to wait till I could find someone to help me work it back. And then I was going to knit it at home in the evenings and my kids were in bed and I was like, I have good light. I'm going to do this. And then these two little kittens kept trying to reach for the yarn. <laughs> and in a matter of like 15 minutes, I screwed up the pattern again. And it's just above my pay grade from an intricacy <laughs> level that I can't work the rows back to fix it again. And so now I'm at a standstill until I find okay. another knitter. Okay. And speaking of two little kittens, this is my last question. Do you have any furry friends in your studio? I have three kittens and therefore I keep my studio in Rubbermaid containers packed up. So yeah, <laughs> oh, they will kittens. if I'm working on a rug or something like that. Two kittens and an older cat. If I'm working on one of my rag rugs or I'm working on fabric or knitting or whatever, they will immediately be on top of whatever it is. So yeah, it's pretty packed up. And what are their names? Leo is my big 
older orange cat, his long haired, beautiful fluff ball. And then Lily and Goose are the kittens that Stella and Felix named. Goose as in Maverick's wingman. So uh, um, sweet, sweet. Yeah. I have like a piece of furniture that my grandfather made. He was a woodworker and I never met him, but I really feel close to a lot of his pieces. And I think this one would have been like from the fifties. And I think that the middle would have been a record stand because it opens up sort of like that. that's where the record player was. And so the backs on, on sections of it are cut out because I imagine like wiring or whatever right. came yeah. out of it. And there are not a lot of closets in our new home and I have a lot of quilts. And so this left side has become sort of the, I would say linen closet, but it's mostly just nice quilts. Yeah. And we couldn't find one of the kittens one day and we were searching everywhere and she had gone over the sofa and in the back hole and on top of the quilts. And we realized that was her hangout because she was like, nobody can see me. Nobody can bug me. And it's like, you know, princess of the pea, like 14 inches of cozy quilts, you know, so it's like, oh, sneaky little kitties. Now they're, yeah. now they're too big. They can't quite get over the, over the sofa and in the little hole in there, but yeah, there was, we were frantic as well. And she was just like, I'm in the best spot in the house. I'm lying on a pile of quilts. What do you uh, mean? Her perfect I little hideaway. Stop, so. Exactly. Yeah. Everyone's perfect hideaway, really, in a beautiful pile of quilts. So, yeah. Okay. Well, thank you for braving the lightning round, Robin. That was great. My pleasure. So I've mentioned the website a few times, soakwash.com, where we can find everything that you offer. But where's the best place for quilters to connect with you on social media? Our Instagram is at soakwash or Facebook at Soakwash as well. So those are kind of the best places to reach out and connect connect to us. And our, our phone number is on the bottle. There's not that many of us and someone someone always answers the phone. So yeah. we're pretty easy. And Jacqueline has agreed to do something so great just for listeners of this podcast. So she has created a promo code and it's FIRE, F-I-R-E. So you can go, first of all, you can go to the website anytime and sign up her newsletter and get 15% off. But this promo code is 20% off. So I'm really excited about that. So you will be able to find this in the newsletter that I send out. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, everywhere. It's Quilter on Fire. You know how to find me and you'll find it in the newsletter, but go there and try out this product while you have your 20% off opportunity. Uh, it's just such a generous offer. So thank you so much, Jacqueline, for doing that. Yeah. And if you're not in, it's for our consumer sites in North America. And if you're not in North America and listening to the podcast, then just reach out to us and we'll find somewhere nearby to get you some samples if we can. Yeah, so great. So remember, the promo code is FIRE, F-I-R-E. Okay, Jacqueline, now as we wrap up, what do you want quilters to take away most from our conversation today? I want people to go and find that thing that they love that they don't use as often as they should and embrace it every day. So for sure, if it's textile oriented, you can use soak to take care of it, whether it's like a quilt that you don't ever take out and use. You know, I try to rotate the ones that are in that cupboard, whether it's a sweater that you don't wear as often as you want. And even if it's like, you know, your favorite stemware, just use it, you know? I mean, there's definitely a difference between using my favorite wine glasses and them being anywhere near my six-year-old children. But when you have a moment to yourself, use those things that you've put away that you love and just don't save them for a special occasion. Just integrate them into your into your everyday life because they, they bring you joy. And that's really, you know, we're in the business of making people feel better. And that's really, you know, the state that we want you to be in. Yeah, such great advice. And I, there are so many things that I am going to go and do right now. First, I'm going to put the book on my coffee table so that I can peruse through it when we're watching mindless TV, I can look at the book instead. I am going to dive into my wardrobe and find that sweater I never wear. And I'm going shopping. I'm going to buy myself a new swimsuit, I think, because, I mean, I've got some holidays planned in the future and my swimsuits are kind of like, meh, 
I probably haven't cared for them very well. So thank you so much for all this great information. It has been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you for sharing your story. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Have a great day. So that was my show with Jacqueline Sava. One thing that really stood out for me in this conversation about an entrepreneur making a difference and a product she built from the ground up is that my personal laundry situation is like a tornado. And so there are so many good lessons here in sustainability, caring for your things, buying local. But really what stood out for me is slow down. Laundry can be fun and organized. And if you take the time, your expensive clothes, fabric and quilts, they'll last much longer if you care for them properly. So so don't forget to check out Soak School at soakwash.com with over 35 topics on caring for your stuff like a pro with Soak. And I really loved sharing Jacqueline's story with you. Have you ever dreamed of touring the countryside of England and Wales? Well, we will hit incredible landmarks like Stonehenge, the Victorian Albert Museum, the Jenny Jones Welsh Quilt Centre, Caffili Castle, and so much more. Grab a friend and book your summer holiday with me for this scenic tour ending with two days at the Festival of Quilts Birmingham. This trip is designed just for you with the quilter in mind. Book your spot today by calling Judy at Opulent Quilt Journeys, one 235 3767. Thank you for listening to the Quilter on Fire podcast. Until next time, dream big and have fun in the studio with the Quilter on Fire.